Good morning. Just want to say thanks to the team. I know we're praising God, so we don't want to get it on men and women, but um, this team's put in a lot of hours. The team back there uh, has put in a lot of hours. The kids' uh, side of things, um, kids' ministry, welcome ministry, everything. There's just a lot of work that's gone on the past couple weeks. Just say thanks for all you uh, put in the hours to make this day reality this morning. I can't believe uh, if you're visiting with us, we're really glad you're here, but uh, we're glad we're here too. Um, There was moments where I didn't know whether we'd ever, ever get here. Um, At one point, it started to feel like a joke. Um, I don't know if you ever heard the one about the contractor and the county inspector and the pastor. uh, It felt like my my story. But uh, no, we're glad you're here this morning. It's, uh, Psalms talks about hope deferred makes the, the heart grow sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. And this is a, a longing fulfilled for, uh, for many of us. Um, what's really great is we've gotten to the end of this project and we all still love each other. And uh, that's amazing. Have you ever done construction projects, even husbands and wives? Uh, my parents, my mom and dad, will never paint together again. Um, so shout out to them. I think they're maybe listening, but uh, they just said, we argued every time we paint. So uh, either somebody's going to paint it and, uh, or not. And so my dad ended up painting. My mom ended up not saying anything. And uh, worked out great. She picks the colors. But uh, no, it's great. Uh, and besides, we buried all the people we didn't like out back. So it's all working out fantastic. Um, gives new meaning to Memorial Park out there. Uh, But uh, no, uh, we love new buildings, love new things, Um, new cars, new clothes, new shoes, new, new, new. And uh, obviously we're in a new facility. Um, News equated with something that's like perfect, like the reason or the meaning it was created and it works that way and it fits and it's right and it's... It's just new, right? If you think of new, it can mean all kinds of things. We use it for different things. Not only what we purchase off the shelves, but it could, it could mean all kinds of things. On the flip side, new wears out, gets old. New can be some of these things that rust and break down. Cars rust out, right? Cars break down. Buildings wear down. Buildings get old. Start to fall apart. It's, it's funny, we don't like the word used, if you think about it. If you go to a car dealer, they no longer sell used cars, they sell pre-owned cars, as if we don't understand what they're doing. Speaking of which, we have a pre-owned building for sale, if you would uh, <laughs> like to buy one. It's not used, just, just pre-owned. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I met a, a brand new baby girl, held a brand new, and actually last week, I think she was officially the youngest uh, person in, in attendance last week, uh, two weeks old, Abby uh, over here with the Fergusons. There's nothing like holding a brand new baby. You never hold a brand new old person, right? 
or middle-aged person or any, it's, you only get to be brand new once as a baby. Sometimes we talk about having a new job and then we say, man, that job's getting old. Isn't that funny? Marriage, sometimes I've heard people describe their marriage as it's, it's just getting old. We describe new, old, and sometimes and use words and it uses or describes pain or adversity, sorrow, grief, and we use the word old. You know, if new is supposed to be what something was intended to be, then tragically there's a lot of things and experiences and people in our lives maybe that are old and it has nothing to do with time and it has nothing to do with dates. Things can break down, right, emotionally and relationally, spiritually, mentally. And something can get old real quick. In the nation of Israel, the height of Israel was about a thousand years before Christ lived. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of King David or you heard of King Solomon. Those two kings were the height, led Israel to the height, the zenith, if you will, of power, of influence, of wealth, and, and spiritually speaking as well, under David's rule, to the height. Under Solomon, they saw the temple, and it quickly started to get old. In fact, after Solomon's death, Israel went into civil war, and it actually split. Ten tribes, northern kingdom, two tribes, southern kingdom. And it was that way all the way up until the end. And what happened is you had kings on both, uh, both nations, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, and they would rule, and you'd have a bad king and a good king, good king and bad king. And pretty soon the cycle for the kings just got bad, 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 no good. in the northern kingdom, and God sent prophets and said, you need to, you need to watch out what's going on here. You are rejecting me, and you're, you're choosing a life without me, and that comes with consequences. And if you want that life, I'll give that life to you. Turn back to me, turn back to me. And that went on for about 100 years, and they didn't, and they were conquered, the northern kingdom, by Assyria in the 700s, 700 B.C. Southern kingdom had more people hungry for God, more people wanting to stay with God, and yet 100 years later, after prophet and prophet was sent, they too ended up rejecting God. And in 600s, there's a famous uh, prophet or uh, Daniel, you may have heard of him, Daniel the lion's den. Well, he was part of that time. The southern kingdom was conquered by Babylon. And many of them were taken off as slaves uh, to live in Babylon. And the, the nation as, it's, as a whole was completely decimated. Jerusalem was destroyed. Temple was destroyed. Everything. They lost everything. God had given them exactly what they asked for. A life without him. He'd warned them over and over again, if you don't center your lives around me, you'll have a life centered around yourself. And you won't have who I am and what I am. And, and God ultimately describes himself as love. You won't have true love. You won't know peace, joy, kindness, gentleness. Self-control, goodness. 
His presence was everything to Israel. And in fact, it manifested itself in the land. When they saw, when they were close with God, the land would flourish, literally with the crops. And, and their nation as a whole would, would surge in terms of wealth, in terms of influence. And when they walked away from God, it would be the exact opposite. Everything would get old. It was a blessing that his presence was there, touched everything from the nation to the land to each individual person. His protection came with his presence, protected them from all kinds of things. He watched over them. And there was something about his presence that was on the land and on the people. And one of the Psalms talks about how he, he makes things new. Things that are old, he renews them day after day. It's a new thing every morning with God. Taking something that you would think would get old and unusable at some point and worn out or break down and, and he renews it. But they wanted their way of life and their own rules and no rules and their freedom and he gave them what they wanted and the nation very shortly was devastated, conquered, destroyed. It took 70 years before Israel really started to return to God. And what's interesting, they're at a moment where they could shake their fists and say, fine, if you're going to do that to us, God, we're done with you. But instead they said, no, we remember what it used to be like and how you renewed us day after day. We want you back. Can we come back? They were broken down, used up, worn out. The life without God was getting old. It just was. I read a book recently, actually still in the middle of it, by John Ortberg called Soul Keeping, and he cites a study done by the Journal of American Medicine, or Journal of American Medical Association. And it, it did this study over 100 years which is fascinating. Um, and in the 19th century, or 1900s rather, it'd be the 20th centuries, but the 1900s, people who lived, it says this, people who lived in each generation were three times more likely to experience depression than folks in the previous generation before them. Let me read that again. People who lived in each generation were three times more likely to experience depression than the folks in the previous generation before them. So despite the rise of a mental health profession, despite the rise of, you, you would say, just our healthcare system and the hospitals, technology, education, ease of life in terms of machine and technology and all that, we're more depressed than ever. And what's interesting is there's something, despite everything that seems new and shiny, there is something desperately broken and that's not getting fixed. It is not getting renewed. See, there's a, there's a longing in our souls that can't be satisfied. It just can't. There was a woman Jesus met one time. She'd been married, I think it was five or six times, and he was hanging out at a well drawing some water. They were, they were just the two of them there. And uh, 
kind of got into her life and some of the things, but he, he just said at one point, he says, look, I have some water that'll quench the deepest thirst you have. You'll never thirst again. You drink this water. And she was stuck on the natural plane, and, and he was talking about the supernatural spiritual reality of his presence and who he was. But there's a thirst, a soul thirst that can't be quenched. We're born with it. It comes from a nature that wants ourselves to be the center, not God, but the selves to be the center of our life. Call the shots, be in control. And it's not just that we have issues. It, it, we all got issues. It's far deeper than issues. We think we can run our lives and we can be God and we can be the center of everything and it's really our story and everything else revolves around it. And it's not just about the bad we do or the good we don't do. It's a fundamental rejection of God and Jesus is Lord and it's only him when he's at the center that can satisfy that deepest longing and can take things that have been old or become old Thanks, things that are tired and broken and renewed. Which takes us to this passage today in Ezekiel 47. It's a vision. Ezekiel spent 35 chapters just warning Israel, judgment's coming, judgment's coming, judgment's coming. Israel lived right during the 600s, right when this was all happening. They'd seen the northern kingdom destroyed about 100 years earlier, and he's saying to the southern kingdom, it's going to happen if you don't. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Judgment's coming. God's going to give you exactly what you want. And they didn't listen. And Ezekiel himself had to live through the devastation and the destruction of the southern kingdom. And about 20 years later, writing this still speaking as a prophet, uh, wrote this vision that he'd received from God. He never lived to see it happen. But chapters 36 through 46, God says, look, if, if you come back to me, if you take care of me and putting me at the center, God doesn't need to be taken care of, but take care of this idea that he needs to be at the center of our lives. You take care of that and put me at the center and worship me and take care of obedience. This is what I'm going to do. And he gives them this vision. Ezekiel 47 is the vision of what God does when people return to him. And, and it's Ezekiel, and there's two characters in there. There's Ezekiel, and then there's this other guy. And, and many think it's actually Christ appearing to Ezekiel. And they have this kind of scene here for about 12 verses here. It says this, then he brought me back, and Ezekiel's writing, so he's talking about he being, seems to be Christ. He brought me back to the door of the temple. So they're at the temple. They're in Jerusalem at the temple. And he says, and behold, water was issuing from below the threshold of the temple toward the east. So water's coming up from under the foundation, from under the floor. It's filling up the temple. And the water was flowing down from below the south end of the threshold of the temple, south of the altar. Then he brought me out by way of the north gate and led me around to the outside to the outer gate that faces toward the east. And behold, water was trickling out the south side. 
Verse 3 says, going on eastward. So if you think about today, the geography of this thing, Israel's this little sliver of land here. You've got the great Mediterranean right here. You've got Turkey up here and Greece, and and then you've got uh, Italy over there. So if you go east, you're going into the desert, out of Jerusalem. And so this, this little trickle of water goes east. And it says here, Ezekiel says, going on eastward with a measuring line in his hand, the man measured a thousand cubits and led me through the water, and it was ankle deep. Again, he measured a thousand, led me through water, and it was knee deep. Again, he measured a thousand, and he led me through water that was waist deep. Again, he measured a thousand, and it was a river that I could not pass through, for the water had risen. It was deep enough to swim in, a river that could not be passed through. And he said to me, son of man, have you seen this? Then he led me back to the bank of the river. As I went back, I saw on the bank of the river very many trees on the one side and on the other. And he said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region and goes down into the Arabia where it enters the sea. When the water flows into the sea, the water will become fresh. And wherever the river goes, every living creature that swarms will live, and there will be many fish, for this water goes there, that the waters of the sea may become fresh, so everything will live where the river goes. Fishermen will stand beside the sea from Engedi to Engleim, and there will be a place for spreading of nets. Its fish will be of very many kinds, like the fish of the great sea. But its swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They are to be left for salt And on the banks of both sides of the river, there will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. But they will bear fresh fruit every month because the water for them flows from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be for food and their leaves for healing. This is what it looks like when God comes in and he makes something new. It's a vision, really. And more specifically, it's, it's not just the water. The water is a metaphor for the presence of God. And so where the presence of God goes, there is this renewing element. There is this power that comes that hits the physical plane, but it also is speaking of a spiritual plane as well. And for Israel, the health of the land was a barometer of their health with their walk with God. So the land is restored, and the natural assumption is, therefore, their hearts, their their souls are restored. God is a saying, if you put me in the center, this is what I will do. This is what I am capable of doing. Now, if you go back and you look, Israel had at its center Jerusalem, and in Jerusalem at its center was the temple. And that was where the presence of God dwelt. And if you wanted to come see the manifest presence of God, like literally his presence would come and smoke would fill the temple and and everybody would know he was there, you came to Jerusalem, you came to the temple. God didn't dwell in people. His presence was everywhere, but he manifested, he showed himself there in the temple. And it's a supernatural thing, which is interesting as, as its story starts. It starts in the temple because that's where the presence of God starts. And then as, as it starts to fill up the temple, it flows out and it starts to cut into the dead areas of Israel where nothing would ever grow. 
goes through the desert. Trees start growing all along the line of this river. It goes all the way to the sea. The sea it's talking about is the Dead Sea. Nothing lives in the Dead Sea. Redundant, obviously. Anything that goes into the Dead Sea dies, except for the fresh water from the temple, which goes into the Dead Sea and makes it alive. In fact, everything it touches turns to life. Everything becomes new when the presence of God touches it. Everything becomes new wherever the presence of God is manifested. He brings life, he brings renewal, he brings restoration healing, food. I'm going to ask God, he's just going to do this here as we move through these final moments. What's his picture for your life? What's his vision for your life if his presence would touch it right now? What would he restore? What would he make new? See, 600 years later, after Israel was conquered, Christ comes and he dies on the cross and, and what was never possible before was now made possible through his death and his blood and his resurrection. God in us. We're now the temple. There is no building that holds God. We're the temple you and I, anyone who would claim Christ and center their lives around him. This room is not where God dwells. God dwells in us. He comes and he'll manifest himself here, but it's the cross makes this way for us to be united with him, in fellowship with him, not having to go through a priest, not having to go through ceremonies, but simply say, Lord, here I am, and he says, I am there. You know, it's interesting, in Northeast Ohio, and probably for a lot of Ohio, it's a highly churched area, meaning it was a big part of our culture for a number of years, and it's not hard even to this day to find people who grew up in the church or have been a part of a church. It's pretty easy. You get into major metropolitan areas, west coast, east coast, and uh, you can meet people that have never grown up. You can see second generation or third generation that have never been in a church, wouldn't even know anything about church. And, uh, you know, in church circles, uh, scholars talk about this, and uh, they've invented this word. There's a new trend. It's been around for a while, and it's growing more and more, but the de-churched. It refers to those people who grew up going to church. Mom and dad took them, grandma and grandpa took them, and then they walked away. And uh, walked away because they were looking for God, and, and it was the last place you would ever expect to meet God was at church because it was just dead. And 
And I don't know where you fall out and maybe you've walked away and you're checking this out again and maybe you've never been a part of church. But the vision God has for you and for people is this vision of him and his presence in your life making it new. And if you're here and you're just uh, part of the celebration of this new building, uh, we're glad you're here. But if you're here and you're also looking for something more, God's, God's glad you're here. And God wants to meet you. And God wants to do things in your life that can stop the decay and the brokenness. And, and, and he wants to pour his living fresh water into your life. It was funny, I was talking to somebody in the foyer and they said, you know, now that you got that fountain going, you better buy a backup pump because if that water stops flowing, what are people gonna think? And I thought, that's, uh, everything breaks down. Everything breaks down except for God. His fresh water will always flow. It's always going to flow. His fresh water is here. His presence is here, right? And the best thing that we've got to offer as a church is not this building. The best thing we have to offer is the presence of God. It's not what's new, it's what is eternal. It is so old, it's older than this world, and yet it is new today, the presence of God. And that's the best kind of news we've got. And he says, look, if you embrace me and all that I am and all that I call you to be, if you, if you center your life around my story and see me as the center of the story and yours is just a piece of this, I'll make you new. It says this several times in the Bible. If you come to Christ, I'll make you a new creation. The second to last chapter, one of the last thing God says to us is, behold, I make all things new. And it's not a small decision. And what I'm getting at is if your life isn't centered around God, maybe today is a day you do that but that's not an easy decision. It's not a light decision, and some of you may not be ready to do that, and we get that. It's way too big of a decision to just do it randomly or lightly. Jesus said over and over again, count the cost of following me. It's not gonna be easy. Some of you, though, you know it's time. You know this is a day you've put it off. Your heart's maybe pounding even right now, and, and I'd say that's God, and, and that's your spirit. And he's calling you and he's saying, look, I want you to come. I want you to be my son. I want you to be my daughter. I want you to come and, and acknowledge you need to be saved and I'll save you. And for those of you who've already made that decision and maybe you're like Israel, you've wandered away and you want to come back. Maybe you've been walking with God, and today's just another day where, Lord, I just need you to make it new again. 
Bring your presence. Let that fresh water. I want to see the fresh water. Manifest your presence. Make it new in here again. Let that be your prayers. Brian just sings through this song. The team comes up.